0: So, I noticed there are some new faces here today, and uh, now I'm really scared. <laughs> because last week, I, for the first time ever, touched on a subject that I've never taught on here, and when I did, once, I just said, Jesus is coming back, that's all we know, got it. Because that's all I knew. The last couple of years, I've been pulled in, tractor beamed in, drawn into a hunger to want to know what's happening with this end times. Um, some of the most famous types of TV shows and movies are the apocalyptic ones, where the planet's gonna or asteroids gonna hit the Earth and oh and no, all it's gonna be all destroyed and all that stuff and or zombies coming and and taking over everything. Like you wouldn't believe how many apop- apocalyptic type of movies there are and they're super popular. People are interested in the future, and then come along. Christians and they start to sell a story of end times again hear me carefully what I talked about last week again if, if today's rough please go back and listen to last week's because I think it'll make more sense today because I'm, I'm scared today as I'm going through the stuff I am going through but I want to bring a hopeful end times picture Because for the last, well, okay, my journey of understanding end times was growing up in a Baptist church connected to a Pentecostal church, and in those churches, we got put on these books, these movies, these end times movies, and if you ever had to go to those high school theaters where they played Distant Thunder, Thief of the Night, and all four of those apocalyptic, scare the hell out of you videos... The ones you get saved at many times. They're all free on YouTube now, by the way, if you need to go get a picture of what scared me so badly. You'll go, oh, you know. And the hard part is, we got Christians stamped on it. Well, what if there's another perspective? And last week I introduced that there are more perspectives in how to see the Scripture and its perspective on the end times. Okay? Some people are wondering, what about the end of the world? When's the end of the world going to happen? Well, I talked a little bit about it last week. I'm going to touch on it again today. But what I wanted to do today was highlight some more stuff on end times things from the scriptures that will give you some more encouragement and go, wait a minute, I was never told this. I didn't know this from history. And at the very end, I'm going to highly recommend you read a book. Especially if you're mad at me, then you can read this book, because it does a far better job than me. But I wanted to give something because Hope Fellowship wanted to hear something on end times. It was Patty who wrote to me a letter. She said, uh, a friend of mine asked me, if your, does your church teach on end times? And she had to say, no. And finally, there was one message. So... Let's let's kind of get into this because uh, again it's a bit apologetic, but that's okay. All right, I need to do this gently because not everybody's going to hear it through the same lens. In fact, you may even hear my heart wrong, but I know my heart's good. Let's see what the scriptures say, and for the most part, most of us are going to have to do some historical. History and do some research to find out. Wait a minute, there's a lot in history that kind of takes away what this new modern end times picture looks like. First warning on new teaching you got to ask, is it new teaching or is it new to you? Big difference, you know, to say, well, I've never heard this before, you know. I get that a lot, especially when you start to teach grace and the finished work of the cross and, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus, you know? Like, where's the, where's the bad news? There shouldn't be bad news. It's good news. That's what the angels declared. It's for all people. Born to you this day. The rock has arrived. Which is from my story on Daniel last weekend. Next. Don't start a new denomination or group because of a variance on teaching. Think about that. And I'll, I'll give you a, a small bridge, and hopefully I get to all my sub, subjects today, but so what? I have, before I understood my identity in Christ, I, I still loved Jesus authentically. There was no problem there. I was filled with grace, but I had a lot of legalism in me. And I've been unlearning legalism for the last 15 years. So what ended up happening was I was part of a church tribe and it was pretty good and enjoying the fellowship and we were it. We were a good denomination. Woohoo! You know, we got good news for everybody. And then I started to learn something that was a little bit different. And then I found myself stuck in this grace camp. You know, this, Whoa, if it doesn't fit this, I can't listen to it. So you kind of push out everybody else. And then I learned more. And then You find yourself Narrowing and narrowing and narrowing because, oh, uh, the, I like this better. What I'm, the point I'm trying to make here is this. We all have different understandings of how we see Scripture on the different doctrines. And if we hear something different, be careful not to judge so quickly. Why do you think we have 33,000 denominations in the world? Because we all have the right answer. Do you think we're here at the unity of the faith? I don't think so. We're not there yet. So, be careful that if you do hear something different, recognize there's, there's a reason they've come to that conclusion. They're not just heretics. And by the way, if you hear people use the term heretic, uh, any individual was never qualified to call anybody a heretic. It was always done by a council of people, not individuals. So all you Facebook people who, heretic, 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 like, stop typing, cut off your fingers, that's stupid. Just don't do that. It's foolish and immature. So just because it's different, it just means it's different to you. So today, let me introduce some more good news. Judge with love. Judge with love. So when you hear something that may not be quite up your alley, say, okay, Father, how do I lovingly receive this? And if I don't like what's said, can I still love the person? Most people throw the whole package out. Oh, because they believe part of that. Oh, have to, They're done. Next group of people. No, that's not what the Bride of Christ is about. That's not what the church is about. Next, does the message make Jesus bigger and better or weaker and worse? Great question to ask, but anything that you hear, just in the back of your mind. Understanding the text that we are looking at. So when you're reading, okay, here it is. There's about five primary places in the New Testament that talk about um, the end of the age the the book of Revelation is a big one there's Thessalonians, Corinthians and even in, in the Old Testament there's some places you have to realize that whoever wrote these letters was writing to actual people pinch, pinch, ouch real people Okay? It wasn't just some arbitrary thing. So the readers would have to be able to understand the context of what the writer's writing about. They would know what he's talking about. Reader relevance is critical. When you read through the, the uh, example, Revelation, some people think it's some big, scary book, and I did too. In fact, I left it on the back burner for a long time because it was so cotton picking and confusing because of all the offers of, of what it means were all over the place. 20 different opinions and, and, man, just slightly off and all this. And oh, yeah, but then you have to have a special map to determine how Revelation is going to work. And then, oh, no, you've got to have a special degree for that part. And you have to know, like, really? Did the people that John wrote the book of Revelation to have special charts and maps to determine what that thing's all about? No, they didn't. He wrote in words that they would understand as Jews. He was writing a warning to them of things to come, not far off. It's like, if he wrote a book and said, uh, by the way guys, here's the New Testament, and for for this last one, ignore it. Somebody 2,000 years later is going to finally get it. It's for them. Does that seem inconsistent with a letter and a writing? It should. Moving on. Run through history. The scriptures are filled with covenants. There's a storyline here. I'm going to rip you through really fast the Old Testament. Um, Eventually, I want to take you through a quick survey of the Old Testament so you understand what's really going on story by story by story. But I'm going to go like, "Mm," super fast. Watch this. Garden of Eden. Pretty good, eh? Next. Flood. No, just kidding. The Garden of Eden was the beginning of relationship. Adam and Eve created, however you understand the story to be, it's still a true story that bears truth to the history of mankind, the history of Jesus coming, and why he had to come. In fact, the story of Cain and Abel comes up in Jesus' curse on the Jews when he says all these things from Abel right through. I'll read that verse to you when we get there, but it starts in the Garden of Eden. Then we have the flood of Noah. Then we have Abraham, and he makes a covenant with God. God makes a covenant with him, the Abrahamic covenant. Then we have Moses at Sinai. And here's something interesting at Sinai that I didn't realize. It was at this place that God called Moses and said, Hey, I'm going to make you all priests. Everybody's going to be a priest. Woohoo! Yeah! Get, take three days to think about it. And they said, Nope. Make Moses our priest, and just tell us what, listen, to do. Huh. You wonder where legalism came from? Right there. From fear. They did not rise to a God initially offered, and so they took the next covenant, the covenant that was given to Moses, the law, and instantly, if you start reading in Exodus 19, holy smokes! <coughs> rules! <coughs> More rules! And then another chapter. <coughs> And it just keeps going. There's so much, don't do this, gotta do this. And if this happens, this happens. And you can't do that oral with them, you know. It's all there. Read it like a book, not by chapters. Read it straight straight through, and you'll get a lot more out of it. So they make Moses a priest. The old covenant begins, a covenant of works, but not works. It's a covenant of works because he said if you obey, you'll be blessed; if you disobey, you'll be cursed. So it was a works-based blessing. That's what they wanted. They could have been priests. I wonder if they had hindsight they would have changed their minds, you know? Cuz it was a from this point on right through to Jesus. This covenant runs right through to the cross and further, you'll see a little later. Time of the judges happened. So the judges were spokespeople for God. They went and spoke to them. Said, hey, you're, you're, you're not living right. I'm, I'm warning you. Stop doing wrong. Start doing right. Repent. And, uh, and some of them got killed and beat up and all kinds of stuff happened, which refers to Jesus saying to the Pharisees in a couple of his parables, you know, the landowner sent people in to uh, um, uh, get the grapes that were in the vineyard and the, the, um, the harvesters went and killed them, beat them up. That's, he's speaking of the judges, As soon as the judges happened, they said, we want to be like everybody else that has a king. Give us a king. So God says, fine. Be careful, though. You're going to get taxed. Having a king ain't all pretty. So in the first year, Saul becomes king. You know, big guy, within one year, he screws up so badly, he disobeys so badly, does not wait for the prophet Samuel, goes ahead and does a sacrifice he had no business doing, and God says... Throne's gone from you, buddy. Very first thing. Then uh, uh, David was immediately anointed. Remember this part. After Saul sinned and screwed up so badly, David, as a young boy, was given the pouring of oil on to be anointed as king. In God's eyes, David was king. And yet, how many years... Was David running and and kind of trying to figure things out from Saul before Saul then lost his kingdom? Forty years. Do you think there's a bit of a parallel here? Okay? This is big. So you have two kings functioning. One is an acting authority. The other one is the real authority, but not functioning yet. And then finally, when he becomes king, he takes over. Solomon becomes king. After that divided kingdom the northern tribes and the southern tribes all start to fight and it becomes divided it's all a mess and if you read through the Old Testament quickly not little section by section but read it like a movie uh, you'll see all this happening then you have the destruction Jerusalem comes Babylon comes takes captive Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Menegh, all that stuff that's from the Jerusalem being taken over the walls are down and oh my they're, they're just exposed and can't function it's brutal Regathering happens. Nehemiah is called. Ezra is there. And they rebuild uh, Jerusalem and the walls and the temple. This is a big, big restoration time. Ooh, this is wonderful. And it is. It's, it's a big celebration time. And then it's real quiet for 400 years. Gee, maybe God's dead. Maybe he's, maybe he's given up on us. Who knows? But this is what's happened. Well, 400 years, Jesus arrives, and he does ministry for three years. He gets born, he uh, grows up, becomes a a normal functioning society person, and then at age 30, he gets baptized, and he launches his three-year ministry. This is huge. New covenant. So if there's a new covenant, there has to be an old one. And you know that in order for a covenant or a will, last will and testament, when do you get to cash in a will? When they die. That's right. That's why the parable of the prodigal son is so weird because he wants his money now, before the dad died, or he was wishing the dad was dead. So it's whatever, it's brutal. So either way, the old covenant had to come to an end. Jesus died and brought an end to the old covenant, and yet it still maintained course for another 40 years until 70 A.D. It wasn't until 70 A.D., that the whole temple Jewish system came to a complete end. Utter desolation. Completely wiped out. We'll cover that in a little bit. Hebrews Hebrews 8.13 says, When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It It is now out of date and will soon disappear soon disappeared. Therefore, it wasn't gone. You weren't under it. You and I weren't under the old. But the old was still there for another 40 years just like David and Saul. Same parallel. Beautiful picture. Overlap of old and new for about 40 years. Imagine that. Old Testament picture. Oh yeah, did that already. Thoughts to consider. What if Jesus was wrong? Anybody that makes a prophecy and it doesn't come through what are they called? False prophets. Why is the Christian church buying so many stupid books of things that are n- f- predicted and not happening? Oh, new, new author, new title, new, new revision. Over. We talked about that last Sunday. How ridiculously gullible we are in buying all this crap. Really. Don't. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Some people run to books for an answer instead of the Holy Spirit. Because somehow they're easier to understand. Oh, wait a minute. You don't have to tune your ear to a, to, hear the, to, to a book. You just read it. You, you, and you take in whatever the author tells you the interpretation is. What if it, he was a false prophet? Because here's the prophecy that Jesus made that if it's not true, he's a false prophet. Look at this. Matthew 24. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. This is huge. Last week we covered the idea that uh, um, heaven and earth as the Jews understood it, was the temple. The temple was heaven and earth, the inner court, where the host of holy was. It was beautiful, magnificent, angelic art in there. It was gorgeous, but that was called heaven, to the Jews. Earth was the ground, where heaven meets earth. And then, of course, out in the outer yard was called the sea. Remember that line, the sea will be no more? We're not talking about the elements of our world This is what it's talking about. That this generation, this generation, a generation is 40 years to the Jews. Do you remember it also says that Jesus said, but God is slow, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish? He could have come five years later. He could have been 10 years later. Could have been halfway. Could have been just before. But no, he maxed out the generation 40 years so as to give them the last absolute chance. Shows the graciousness of God powerful he says in this generation it has to happen so all the stuff you have to go back and read Matthew 24 because that's a huge prophecy lots going on there I believe it has happened it was fully fulfilled in 70 AD I'm convinced of that now it makes more sense now Especially as I start to do more history reading, go what? And then some of the early church fathers from 100 and 200 uh, AD and on and on. It wasn't until 160 years ago we come up with these new uh, pre-millennial, post-millennial ideas of end times pictures. Those are new maps. They're not. They were never believed for the longest time. Next, what if the disciples were not talking about the end of the world? There's a big question. After Jesus is walking past the temples, and they're saying, ooh, look at the wonderful temples, and Jesus says, these will be destroyed. Now a single stone will be left on top of the other, utterly destroyed with fire. Boy, he gives a prophecy that is so scary. And so they're asking, are they asking about the end of the world? Or are they understanding they're talking about the end of an era? Because the word world there is not cosmos, which means our whole world. The word there is aeon, age. Big difference. Look it up. It's on the internet for everybody to see. No secrets here, which makes this a lot more fun to teach because like, ha there it is. Listen to this. They were only asking about what Jesus had just told them about in Matthew 24, the temple, which meant the end of the Mosaic age. They knew the age was coming because the next age was coming. They wanted to know when, when does all this take place? They weren't saying, when's the end of the world? They had no clue They didn't even know what that meant. They were because it was never in their circle of idea of what the end of the world was. And here we have all these end end of the world scenarios and books and scare you stuff. Take a look at this. They were not talking about the second coming either, because they didn't believe he was going to leave anyway. Remember, who took off at the crucifixion? Who ran away? The disciples. Had they believed Jesus was going to rise, they probably would have stuck around. Oh, wait a minute. He did rise. And then somebody came banging on the door. Ding, ding, ding. He's arisen. He's arisen. woo Go away. They didn't believe it. They, like, they were not thinking second coming. That wasn't even in their radar whatsoever. Practically speaking, like, it just takes a little bit of common sense. And I'm only saying this with a bit of fun because I bought into the old one, hook, line, sinker. And now when I see it, it's like, oh my goodness, how could I have not seen that? But how can you be upset for not seeing something when you can't see it? And how can you get mad at somebody else for not being able to see? I've been saying this for the last year. Don't get mad at a blind person for being blind. You can only know what you know. If you haven't been told, you can't know. How can you? Holy Spirit can reveal, and he does. They didn't even believe he was going to die, let alone be resurrected. So their question was not about the end of the world, not about a second coming. They're talking about, when will the end of this age be? That is what this is all about. The curse against the Jews and that generation... This is big, because 70 A.D. is the coming of Christ in judgment on that generation, and that generation did it to themselves. Matthew 23. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time, from the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechi, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on... 2,000 years from now generation. No. This generation. He's consistent with what he's saying. He's warning them. You have welcomed this curse on you now. Because they refused to accept him as the son of God. And believe me, in this chapter, he's, in Matthew 24, he is upping the ante for being antagonistic against the Jews. Remember, he had to get killed. He had to get to the cross. They had to be so mad to crucify him boy did he sure do that he ticked them off deeply grieved them in their spirit yeah so this all happened here's what's interesting murder of Zechariah they only they only had the bible from Genesis to Zechariah Malachi was not in their in their canon yet okay so that's why it says to Zechariah that was their Septuagint end of the world what do you mean what do you mean, end of the world? Second Peter 3, heaven and earth will pass away, elements destroyed by fire. This is a good one, isn't it? Because people bring this up. Ooh, see, there's the hellfire. Ooh. Well, you got to know Jewish thought and to the context that they were speaking into, the culture of their day. It's critical. Anybody that studies hermeneutics, which is the interpretation of Scripture, the foundation rule is context. Who is the audience? Who is it spoken to? There's a number of things going on. And to say, well, I just believe the Bible for what it says plainly. Well, whatever it says plainly to you is going to be plainly different for somebody else. There's no such thing as plainly. If you're going to go plainly, then go back to the original languages because that's where you're going to get your, your uh, um, proof texts. That's where you're going to get your, your grammar stuff correct, which I hate grammar and sometimes it shows. But anyway, it's fun. The elements. The elements is not the periodic table. Some people think, ooh, that means all the elements of the world. The pediatric table wasn't even created until 1800. They didn't even know what that was. Well, I found out what it does mean. And this is really cool. Paul talks about it. Paul uses the word stoshia, elements. And it means this. Don't go back to all the trappings of Judaism. Sabbath, law, feast calendar. That's what the elements are. The elements of the Jewish law will be destroyed. And they were destroyed. In fact, it was such an utter destruction of Jerusalem at that time that when the armies came in, first of all, uh, I hope I get this right. This is, this is, this is wild. Remember the Antichrist stuff? There's an, by the way, Revelation does not talk about an Antichrist. Just so you know. It's not there. But they were warned of Antichrists. There was a guy who came in and said he was Jesus. He was now the the savior for the Jews. Goes into the actual temple, convinces them, and then he becomes their leader. And he says, okay, prove to me that I'm your leader. And he says, destroy your storehouses of food. The Jews could have lived for three years being surrounded. But a couple months before they came, the Romans, all the food was destroyed. Okay? Brutal stuff. So when Titus came, surround the city. Remember, Jesus said, warning when you see the um, uh, abomination of desolations come, get out. Run to the mountains. Because normally you run into the city, that's where your protection walls are. But he was telling them to do the exact opposite. All the Christians, as soon as they saw that, they were warned don't go get your coat. Get out now. Hardly any time. Pray it's not on the Sabbath. Because if, it were caught, if you were on the Sabbath, what would happen on the Sabbath, if you were trying to run, you were overdoing your steps. They had Fitbits for everybody. They said, look, you're only allowed 100. You just screwed up. 102. Jail. And so they would bring you into the city if you were caught. Woe to you who are pregnant. Do you know how brutal that would have been in pregnancy? Having to escape. Like, pray it's not in the winter. Like, this is Jesus saying... Pray this stuff isn't going to happen like that because it's going to be a horrible, horrible time. I know for many years, I heard people say, um, from different pastors, people have spoken to me about this too. I said, well, I'm afraid about having kids because what if Jesus comes back and says, woe to you who are pregnant when Jesus comes back. Talk with the wrong application. But I didn't know any different. Now I see it. It's like, oh, it's historical. It's amazing. There it was. And so, when when the armies when the Roman armies came and they surrounded Jerusalem, when they opened up the wall or doors to finally come in, what they found was sick so much so that the governor wept. The Roman governor. There were bodies piled up in the streets. There was blood everywhere. There, was bo- there were bodies on top of all the homes. In that city alone, 1.1 million Jews were killed. Overall, in the whole surrounding area, over 3 million Jews were slaughtered by the Romans. 97,000 were saved so they could be used for the Roman games. And those were brutal too. And if that wasn't stopped, we would have seen the whole Jewish family be eliminated, but they weren't. Josephus, one of the great historians, record, no, it's not Josephus, one of his uh, colleagues. Either way, you'll have to look up the guy's name. But he said not a single Christian was recorded to be killed because they're ready and they got out. This was going to be on the Jewish family, on the law. And all that judgment came on them at that time. And it was horrific. Next. Just like Noah, his world was destroyed. Judaism as we know it will be destroyed. Very much so. Well, you say, well, Judaism hasn't been destroyed. Um, the Judaism that you read about in the Bible is a totally different than the Judaism you see today. The Judaism you saw in the Bible was this. It was built around the temple. The temple was the center Today we have what's called a rabbinic Jewish faith. It's all built around the rabbi. They have no system for covering sin. Nothing in place for any of that. In fact, they cannot reestablish the Jewish sacrificial system because they cannot establish the priesthood. All the records were destroyed in 70 AD. And Jesus prophesying that not a single stone be left on top of each other in the temple is because, the, I think it was Titus, said, um, do not destroy that temple, I want Because it was like a world icon. It was like one of the wonders of the world. Phenomenal. Covered in gold. Everything was gold. But somebody didn't listen, and they set it to fire, and they tried to put it out as best they could, and eventually they had to take every single stone down and apart, melt off the gold, and not a single stone was left on top of the other. Do you think Jesus was good at his prophecy? I think so. It's amazing. History will blow your mind. It sure did me. Mark of the beast. What if I were to suggest to you it's not a computer chip? Here's something that was really cool that I that I'm learning. And again, history. This is wild. (laughs) Agora. Anybody here from Agora? Okay, we have one across the street. Farmers Market. It's a place to buy and sell and sell your wares, whether it's cheesy stuff and then the real farmer's market, you know, like all, all of it's there. But this was uh, something that happened all through the Roman Empire. They had agoras everywhere. These agoras were adorned by statues, Greek and Roman. And sometimes, sometimes heroes were, were welcomed. Very, very big deal. This is where you bought and sold stuff. This was the new market. They had to have a place. It's like the new zares, you know. Admittance was required by Caesar that you worship the statue of Caesar. The only way in, again, things are getting worse and worse for the Christians now. Think of this. As a Christian, now if you want to buy or sell it to go into this place, you have to worship the statue of Nero before you can go in. Do you think you have to give up something here? There's a bit of a give up here. What's going on? Why Nero? What's the big deal with him? Huh, this is a big problem for the first century Christians. You can't buy or sell outside of that place. They were controlling everything. Nero was a very, very evil person. One of the worst Caesars in history. He, was a, he had so many names for him. Uh, he had his mother executed. He kicked his pregnant wife to death lights Rome on fire, burns a third of it to the ground, and then he blames the Christians. It's at this point we hear of the great persecution of Christians. Unleashes a 42-month, three-and-a-half-year persecution of all the Christians. This was one of the worst bloodbaths of our Christian history, was in the Roman time. Brutal, brutal time. And I'm, I'm, I'm only giving you the nicer details of how evil Nero was because there are some sick, sadistic things he was doing that your jaw will go, yeah. It's, yeah, it's bad. He was, it's one of the most horrific times in history. He commits suicide at 31. He was not that old. I always thought he was like in his 50s, 60s. You know, he's been doing this for a while. 31 years old to have a mind that warped and he stabbed himself to, you know, as a suicide thing. Nero. Recorded names of him were tyrant or a wild beast. But he was known by this term, folks, the beast. That's who he was. Rome was the beast, but he was the symbol of the beast. Take a look. Statue set up, and you have to worship it, and then you have to worship the beast. Imagine that. You have to worship The statue, the beast. Are you starting to make some connections here? It gets better. One more step, and you'll go, offer. After your offering is made, ash is taken from the altar, and then you're marked on your right hand or forehead to show you've worshipped the beast. Now you're free to go and buy and sell. Do you think John knew what his people would be reading? Do you think John knew when he read and spoke uh, of the things that are coming? Do you think he knew the context of his culture? Absolutely. I never. When I saw this, I'm like, okay, that, that is a much more plausible understanding of what the mark of the beast is than anything I've ever heard before. Because otherwise everything's still hurled 2,000 years in the future that doesn't have any context. Mark of the beast. I hope that wakes you up a little bit to say, hmm, okay, I've been taught this. I don't like this new one very much, But there may be some grounds that I encourage you to study and learn and don't take my word for it. Start to go through. Again, I can only teach what I believe. I can't make up something. I I have always been authentic and transparent with you as a church family. This is probably the hardest two messages I've ever taught in this church. For fear, which is stupid. I shouldn't be afraid. But whatever. I'm human. My flesh is afraid because I like to be liked. I don't want to be misunderstood. But I'm finding tremendous hope in this hopeful end times. It's not as scary as I thought it would be. The, The world's actually getting better, not worse. And when you start to do research on that, you go, what? I didn't see that. Do the math. And you go, wait a minute. It actually is getting better. Read Irrelevance. They understood what John was talking about. The rapture. This one's the touchier one. It comes from First Thessalonians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. That's, by the way, that's the reason he wrote this. Right there. There was tremendous persecution going on to the Christians. So Paul is writing to encourage them. Don't lose hope. There is a resurrection coming. Be hopeful. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Hey come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from the graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Paul did not hint in any way that a coming great tribulation under one world ruler called the Antichrist wasn't even mentioned. Instead, he was speaking of the pers- to the persecuted believers, giving them hope. Which is Paul's style. Prior to the invention of the rapture doctrine in the 1830s, ding, 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 alarm bells, all published commentators interpreted 1 Thessalonians as referring to the resurrection. All right? Next, Matthew Henry, along with nearly all of the commentators prior to John Darby, saw the obvious intention of this passage as referring to the resurrection of the dead at the final coming of Christ, not a secret rapture seven years prior to the resurrection. It's like this up-down thing going on. Like, okay, now we go up, and now we come back down. We're going to judge. Whoop, now we go back up and down. Really? Get your own trampoline then. Like, it's, that's not how it works. That's not how I've come to see it. Caught up, by the way. What is going on? Did I? Oh, maybe my battery's dead. So... Caught, oops, caught up. We have been told in churchianity that it means to be caught up, that we'll be raptured, because the, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Okay? They're getting this from the... It's not, it doesn't exist there. But this idea of being caught up is. Caught up can mean, some people think it means we're going to kind of, ooh, you know, um, leviate uh, up to the sky, you know, and, and meet Jesus in the clouds. Well, if that's human you got to think through. The air gets thinner, the higher you go. So that could be awkward. But that's not what the word sky actually means, a welcoming. We're going to be welcoming. We'll be welcomed by, a declared a welcome by the king. So this caught up thing, it's like me running a race with Jerry. Clearly I beat him, okay? So I'm at the finish race going ding, hmm, 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 and he catches up. He is now caught up to me, and we are in the same place. We're all going to be glorified and all caught up. All will be glorified, all caught up to the same thing, same new creations. There's more hope in this than I ever thought. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-54 says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. When, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death will swallow up with sweet victory. So, rapture. Do I believe in the modern day description of rapture? No. But I do believe in a final caught up rapture, if you want to call it that. That I do believe will happen. It's not here yet. It will happen one day. It's big. Jesus is coming back. That's non negotiable. That's good news. The tribulation, I believe it has everything to do with the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem. The whole... I was going to make a big list of all the horrific stuff that was going on, but it'd be pretty bloody, really gory. You would, you would almost potentially weep at the devastation of what happened in Jerusalem, what happened to the Jews, and even the Christian persecution during that time. It was brutal. The Antichrists, there were lots of them. There are lots who came in 120 were recorded uh, just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem throughout history. 120 individuals said they were the Messiah, they were the Messiah, they were the Messiah. And Jesus warned them, don't listen to them if they're coming. They're coming. There'll be people who will claim that. Closing thoughts. Jesus is coming back. It's good news. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate his life, death, resurrection, and is coming back. And for that, we hold on great hope. Hence, hope fellowship. Much hope. Let's find hope in everything, because it's there. Find a a good look. He came to judge in 70 AD. That was his coming in judgment. But he's coming again to bring the church into glory. In fact, it says heaven's going to come down. It's going to be powerful. We will be changed. Transformation will happen. That kind of rapture will happen, not like in the movies and novels. Here's the key, folks. I started last week's message with this, and I'm going to end today with it. In the prophecy of Daniel, when Daniel prophesied of what King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was, that he saw a statue with all these uh, gold, bronze, silver, um, uh, iron, and then clay and iron toes. Apparently I said 10 feet at some point. Oops, I meant 10 toes. Uh, which is the ten provinces that uh, the Caesar had to build up and each province was a, had a king. They became divided. The Jews were in there. It was never going to gel. Then the rock from, cut from non-human hands comes and smashes that statue. That is the coming of Jesus. He has come. The kingdom of Christ has come and is established. We are now called not to, let's win as many people to Christ so Jesus can come back quick. It's better than that. It's The kingdom's here. Let's keep spreading the love. Let's keep sharing the life of Christ to all people groups. Evangelism becomes natural. It becomes hopeful. We don't have to scare anybody into a prayer. God's going to get you, so say a prayer. It's like Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Do you see that picture? That really nice one of him. The door doesn't have a handle because apparently it's on the inside only. So he's knocking, says, let me me come in. And the inside voice goes, why? Because of what I'm going to do to you if you don't. (laughs) We need to think about some of the sayings that we've been told and taught. You and I, or many of us, have grown up in the church. Some have not. You're so lucky if you haven't. Because you don't have all the baggage that I got. You have the same legalistic background to unlearn. I'm still unlearning. And my problem growing up was this. I never questioned the answers given to me. I just ate them hook, line, and sinker. Today, question everything. The Holy Spirit can handle answering stuff. And you may not get an answer right away. It's fine. Question it all. Why? 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 And if you're calling me to ask the why, I'm gone for about five weeks and uh, can't answer your call. (laughs) (laughs) Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And if this stuff is new and kind of making you feel all uncomfortable, like, "Oh, oh boy, what are you doing? Let me suggest you ask God. Say, Heavenly Father, if there's any truth in what I just heard, will you gently make it come alive in me And show me what is true. If it's not, let me put it aside and wait for you to bring to me the truth that I need to understand. Okay? It's all between you and your Heavenly Father. That's all this is about. The kingdom has come. We are good news bearers. And we bring a message of grace, the finished work of the cross, that Christ loves everybody, that He has forgiven everybody that accepts everybody and he challenges us and calls us to believe the good news and when you believe the good news you will experience salvation and it's good news and it'll work from the inside out that's what we're called to. To me that's a hopeful end times. Lastly anybody that wants to argue any of the points with me you must read these books first okay raptureless.com is your website and This book is there. This, this one was fantastic. In fact, it's, this is two books in one by Jonathan Welton. Great guy. Um, he put in a book on Revelation as well. It's free online on that rapturelist.com website. Or you can buy it on Kindle for $9.99. Or if you're in the States, you can buy it in the U.S. You can't get it in Canada. I don't know why. But I'm going to talk to him and get that fixed. Um, but this is a phenomenal book. In fact, this one's easier to read than this one. But this one's really good. I actually had Dave Shaw read this one uh, first, uh, which is pretty cool. This guy, Martin Trench, he's the pastor of the church I'm going to speak at in Edmonton. Yeah, small world. Amazing. And this book was recommended to me by a guy named yon Ego Goldbranson from Victoria, B.C., who I spoke at their grace camp for the first time when they first launched and have been a part of that family ever since. folks, there's good news available. If you've only heard one fearful story of a perspective on end times, let me suggest to you to expand your palate. Look outside and realize there's there's a buffet of amazing things. And there are some good news ones that will actually bring hope, not fear. We are not to be governed by fear for that is not the spirit of Christ in us. That should be your telltale sign of what you believe. If you have a belief that brings fear, I would question that pretty quick. It might need tweaking so you can, oh, now it's hopeful, like something may be off. Welcome to the journey of growing in grace. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.